Let us now give thanks to the Lord who reigns over the earth and the seas and who has delivered us. <gasps> Noah, look! A sign. Praise the Lord. And then God set his rainbow in the sky, saying, This sign is my promise that never again will there be a flood to destroy men from earth. So whenever the rainbow appears in the heavens above, you will see it and remember this everlasting covenant between me and all living creatures. I'm Garth Mullins. This is Crackdown. Episode 28, After the Flood. was a year of very ominous weather reports in British Columbia. Lethal heat emergencies, wildfires, biblical floods. Climate change is kicking our ass. The coroner keeps reporting record overdose deaths. And now we're in the fifth wave of COVID. All of this feels apocalyptic. These emergencies just keep stacking up on top of each other, drowning us. I survived some shit when I was young, but not like this. This feels worse. I keep wondering how I'd survive this if I was just coming up now. So you're you're a real pro, like getting mints and water and everything ready. I got I got no water, no plan. Do you need mints? Oh, I'd love them. Mint. Ladder. Hey, Rainbow. Hey. Hey. Could you introduce yourself? Um. Okay. Hey, my name's Rainbow. Um. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Rainbow is a 26-year-old, and she's a member of the advisory council for a research program focused on young people who use drugs being conducted in Vancouver. Rainbow spends a lot of time meeting with other young people in the life. She helps organize conferences and collaborates in multiple research studies, all in an attempt to get people to understand what it's like to be a young, poor drug user right now. Recently, our team thought we'd try a new kind of episode. We'd give Rainbow a tape recorder, and we'd have her record scenes from her own life. So there you go, you're making a file. Hello, file. I'm really scared if I actually delete it all though. Don't worry. Does, um, did anyone bring headphones with them today? Like, when we first met you and gave you a recorder, did you think, like, who are these weirdos? What's the plan here? Or do you remember how you felt then? Oh, no, I was really excited. I was like, fuck yeah, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how this is going to happen, but we're going to do it. Um, And I'm like, I'm not really quite sure how I can contribute, but I generally can't shut up. So I was like, this will work at least for that. (laughs) Rainbow recorded for 40 days. And during this time, she collected over 30 hours of tape. Our team went through all the recordings. And with Rainbow's help, we rearranged them into a story. You know, when we listen back to your tape, we can hear there's really really intense stuff and then really just mundane like day-to-day being on hold or whatever stuff 
what kind of story were you hoping to tell out of all of this? Um, trying to like broaden people's ideas of the world. People are always like, oh, your life is like right out of a movie or it's too crazy to be real or whatever. It's like all these things are happening in the world. You are just oblivious. <laughs> but yeah, really capturing day-to-day -day shit. Unfiltered, man, unfiltered. These are messages from the last person that lived really? here. Is it interesting though? I want to hear them. Because when I press it, listen to this. Come here. When Rainbow first starts her recordings, she's pretty happy with her life. In fact, she tells us, this is the best it's ever been for me. It wasn't so long ago that she was living in brutal modular housing and not so long ago that she was smoking meth regularly and feeling suicidal. But then BC Housing accepted Rainbow's application and she moved into a much nicer apartment. Rainbow hopes that the new place will be the key to her overall stability, that her mental health will improve here and that she'll be able to refrain from using meth. Today, Rainbow's friend Haley has come over to hang out and to help Rainbow set up her intercom system. The extension. Greeting number. Whoa. Hey, this is Rainbow. I guess I'm not here, so leave a message. Yay, we did it. Oh, spider, spider, spider. Oh, where? Right here. Oh, God. Can you get in? Get a shoe! No, I can't! Oh, I can't, I can't even get near Is there a story that goes with your name? Yeah, so my high school best friend's dad, like, always liked to make jokes about, like, my colorful hair and shit. Um, was like, oh, always like, what are you, a fucking rainbow? And I was like, yeah, you got a problem with that? Like, so that just kind of, like, grew on me. And you, t you changed it on your ID? Yeah, it's my legal name. It was just kind of like, fuck you. Like, <laughs> I am a fucking rainbow. Deal with it. Like, and I was always wearing like bright colors of everything and fucking crazy patterns, neon everything, a clusterfuck of all the beautiful things at once, which probably looked really terrible, but I don't give a shit. I pulled it off. Did my meds come in? All kids of course that the Rachel's meds come in. Yay. Yes. 
Rainbow lives in a government-funded, supportive housing building. That means there are healthcare workers on site and residents can access counseling and harm reduction services. Rainbow has prescriptions for birth control, benzos, and dexedrin, a stimulant prescribed as a substitute for crystal meth. When the meds come in, the building staff hold them at the front desk. These environments can feel institutional and controlling, but that doesn't bother Rainbow much. In fact, she tells us she was struck by this place right away. Saw what it was like in there, and I was like, wow, you don't have to deal with all the messed up shit that I have to deal with. So I was like, I'm going here, and one way or another, it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, but there's like so much fucking paperwork to get like a transfer or like BC housing and like all your files, and then trying to get a hold of the actual landlords. But I was just like fucking determined. I'm like, I'm getting into this building before I fucking die, and that's the way it fucking is. Yay! Here you go. How awesome. You I'm good. You? Good. Finally, I'm gonna be so psycho. I'm like so fucking hormonally imbalanced with all these fucking things. Yeah. <laughs> Have a good night. You as well. Thank you. My goal is to be able to do basic things. Like, I want to be able to fucking have a safe house and be able to take care of myself, like fucking brush my teeth and brush my hair, you know, and then like have relationships with people that are nice and lovely and fulfilling and like, and I just be able to sit on my couch and feel like there is no immediate crisis. Just like simple ass shit that, you know, you know, most people have. Makes sense. <clears throat> Just so you know, this bacon is like extra fatty. <clears throat> okay, I'm extra fatty too. Um, can you <clears throat> make sure mine are just really? Yes, honey. Thank you. The only bacon I don't like crispy and burnt is you. My sexy bacon. Rainbow has a partner named Lee. They've been together for just over a year. The two now consider themselves to be married, but they haven't done all the paperwork to make it official. I don't even know how to describe it, and I don't, like, believe in anything particularly, but, like, I can't deny the fact that we were, like, meant to meet. <laughs> I was working at the Walmart in North Van at the time, and he was living in a fucking trailer outside the North Van mall that my Walmart was in at the time and um, we were talking for like a long time it was like months or something it seemed like things were heading in the right direction with Lee the two were talking online nearly every day but then one day Rainbow got locked out of the app and she couldn't figure out how to log back in and just like that she lost track of him it took seven years before Rainbow and Lee found each other on that app again and they decided this time We'd better meet up in person. Before we met, I was like, he's clearly in love with me and I'm clearly in love with him. Like, this is just like obvious at this point, even though we haven't met in person. One of the first things Lee did was buy Rainbow a small heater. It made her freezing modular housing room a bit more bearable. Then he started to spend the night. Being close to Lee was the safest she'd ever felt. And she was falling in love with him. You still got two properties mortgaged. Which ones are they? Boardwalk and... I got 
Oh, you have four properties mortgage? Boardwalk, railroad. Which railroad? Reading. Pennsylvania and Illinois. Jesus. Like Rainbow, Lee has had his share of mental health and addiction challenges. He's been a serious drinker for over 20 years. Shortly after they started dating, Rainbow brought Lee to his first 12-step meeting, and she suggested he try to get into some sort of inpatient rehab program. Lee agreed that this was a good idea. The two called around, and they were told before getting admitted into one of these places, Lee would have to go through a medical detox program. They also discovered that there were forms to fill out and long wait lists. So for months, Rainbow and Lee called every couple of weeks, but they never got in. Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. Pay combat track. Optimize. Cease for Ganya. I think you know. Oh, you just pushed that first card. What is it? 100. <laughs> oh my god, you read it out even though you know what it is. Yeah. I love you, Mother. Yes! Motherfucker! You get a French $100 bill. <laughs> Francais! That's what it's thousand now. Yeah. You're so cute, you little shit. You little shit. Okay. And you owe me too. Why? Dog. <laughs> so, what's the deal with Lee in this place? So... Like you, you oh. originally you thought he'd be on the lease, but he's not, right? Oh yeah. yeah, no, yeah. They were like, oh, so no, it's just you. We didn't have any knowledge of this prior, blah blah blah. But I'm like, I described the whole thing. I'm like, this is fucked up. I need this, and this is devastating. And we're both working our asses off. And they're like, okay, well, he can stay with you for now. And they said like, oh, if he does all these things, which he you say he's already doing then he can have the place beside you, maybe. Right. Rainbow tells us she's asked the building staff about this a number of times. Can Lee be added to the lease? And what about the empty room beside hers? Could he just move in there? This is a pretty common problem in social housing. Not being separated from your partner is absolutely vital, but it can be like pulling teeth to get them into your building. As the weeks drag on without any kind of decision, Rainbow becomes more and more anxious. She wants Lee to get access to the counselors and the staff that work in the building, but it feels like they're just getting strung along. So he doesn't have all these other workers to help him fight yet, and we're trying to build that, but like, without that, like, we don't really have a chance. I couldn't get a hold of my hubby all day, and it was really weird. Cause he's been texting me every morning and I was like freaking out for like hours and hours. Like, cause of the, and, I, and I feel like I don't, like, I feel like I'm overreacting, but the realisticness of the situation is like, if I don't hear from him, something serious could be going on. Like, it's just, I need to know he's safe and alive and okay. Like, otherwise I fucking freak and lose my shit. <laughs> river that will continue all the way in towards the end of the weekend and into early next week and that will be a big concern with localized flooding and rapid melting 
Might need a lifeboat after that forecast. Or an arc, maybe. Hi, mommy. Hi, honey. How are you? I'm good. You? Oh, I'm so fucking stressed out. Oh, what happened? Ugh, like, Tulane is flooded. Oh, God. Yeah, like, people had to swim out. Like, they were stuck in their cars and their houses. Holy fuck. Where is that? Because I've been doing this Holy shit. The shelves are bare hay. Like, there's no milk in the lower mainland. What? Oh, because of the trains. Um, do you want me to come out there like in, in any spare time, and then you can just vent or something? Like I can, I can do that kind of thing. They can see the flooding from space. Oh my god, they can see the flooding from space. Apparently, let me know. Even if, and call me anytime if you need to vent in the middle of the night. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I love you. Bye. <laughs> Holy fuck, that's fucked up. That's like the real apocalypse. It's kind of further from the boss than I pictured. There it is. It's still there. Holy fuck, it's big. I want to get as close as possible. Well, this is our nice little date night. Oh my god. No, this is just a barge just chilling on Sunset Beach. I wanted to hear the fucking sound of it smashing on the wall, though. Wouldn't that be glorious? I wonder how many people have crawled up on it and are sleeping on it. Probably more than you think. It looks so peaceful somehow. Thanks for coming to see it with me. And there's just a barge on the beach. From the start, Rainbow's life has been punctuated by big and small emergencies. She tells us she never felt safe with her biological family. And at the age of 15, she decided she had to get out of there. So Rainbow ran away to her friend's house, and their parents decided to take her in. Rainbow felt a lot safer there. It felt like a real home, and she hoped that the Ministry of Children and Family Development would make her friend's parents her legal guardians. But she tells us that never happened, and she still doesn't understand why. So Rainbow just kind of fell through the cracks, she remembers regularly not being able to do things like go on school field trips because she had no one to sign the permission slips. 
Rainbow says when she was around 17, her mental health was really in bad shape. And she tells us that her new family felt like they couldn't help. And like they had no choice. They had to ask her to leave. Rainbow was suddenly on her own, a teenager looking for somewhere to sleep. A couple of youth um, safe house things and yeah, on and off the street. And then like at people's places, like the occasional cow surfing or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it was it was just chaos. Um, where did you stay mostly when you were staying on the streets? Like, did you have any particular part of the city that you preferred? Um, yeah, there was a few places. The first night that was like downtown, like me and my buddy uh, slept outside um, the Yale Town uh, Park there with that boat marina. But yeah, after that, it was just kind of like wherever worked and I had gotten a tent at some point. Rainbow also started to go to youth drop-in centers with names like Odyssey, Nexus, and Directions. She'd hang out there, eat some free food, get hooked up with counseling, and access government programs. These were also great places to meet other people. And soon, Rainbow had a whole crew of friends around her age. So like Directions and stuff, you could get free food all the time and you're not really supposed to take it out, but I'm like... Okay, so my people out there are hungry. I'm going to fucking hoard all this shit and share it. Like, um, but yeah, we, we slept. This is so, uh, so deja so vu. <laughs> uh, like when I, was, um, when, I, when I was 19, I aged out of the – like when you turn 19, you aged out of some youth services <clears throat> when I was in California in San Francisco. And uh, this happened to lots of the kids there. They would turn 19 and this place would be like, nope. Mm-hmm. And so the people who were you know 18 or whatever – would would help the kids who had aged out by taking food or taking stuff from the place and giving it to around the corner. Like You got to. Yeah. When Rainbow turned 19, she aged out of a lot of this programming. And then she aged out of the rest of it at 25. This meant less free food, less counseling, and less social connection. Once again, Rainbow was on her own. food money because I um I ran out of food because I I've had to pay on my own for my diabetes test strip things and they're really expensive um so having to purchase your diabetes medication is this was this unexpected um the medication thing no the test strips no it was unexpected I've um I usually don't use that many of them and um, but I, I've just been really unhealthy lately, and so I've had to test a lot more often. 
Okay. Um, okay, I'll prove this for you today, so that'll be $40. Okay, um, how thank would you like to receive the funds? <clears throat> um, d uh, is it direct? Oh, tomorrow's uh, holiday, right? Um, direct tomorrow. Uh, uh, Well, that's my 3.30 alarm to take my afternoon meds, which is my Dexedrin, which is definitely not at the right dose. Rainbow recently gained access to prescription Dexedrin through BC's new risk mitigation prescribing guidelines. During the first wave of COVID, the government of British Columbia started allowing some drug users to access a handful of prescription medications like Dilaudid, Xanax, and Dexedrin. Previously, these kind of meds had been very difficult to get. But for the most part, doctors didn't buy in, and only a tiny, tiny minority of drug users in BC had been able to access the program. And too often, when we were able to get the medications, the dose was too low. This is how Rainbow feels, that she actually needs a lot more dexedrin than she's currently being prescribed. So she scheduled an appointment with her psychiatrist to ask him to up the dose. But that's still a long way off. And in the meantime, her plan is to try and make this work without smoking any meth on the side. I obviously have ADHD. It was never properly diagnosed. Um, but it's a thing that I always knew. It was like having like a thousand million TVs on in your head. Um, and then like not being able to like decipher whose voices from what shows are on what channels and like what images go with what, it just got all fucking clusterfucked. Um, I got a hold of Dexedrine at one point and I could just see clearer. It was awesome and I was like, wow, okay, so this is how Rainbow actually needs to get through school. And I should have been on Dexedrine, I would have, I would have passed high school and shit. My best friend at the time, one of them was like a serious, serious, like every day, every second methy and like, and I saw the wonders it could do for fucking Rainbow. Like there's crises, it's just constant crisis. Like if you make the wrong decision, that's the end of your life. If you make the wrong decision, that's the end of like having all these future things happen. And like, I could not take the risk of not being able to make the right decision. The only way I could process all of the things that were happening was to fucking smoke a bunch of meth. It just really helped me be able to make safer decisions that weren't like fucking up my life. When you were smoking meth, were you worried about overdosing? Um, yeah, I really was. Like I, where I was getting it, it was like safe, but like then everything with COVID and, and like stuff, like obviously supply and demand got all fucked up. So it was like very finicky shit. Provincial officials say they're trying to get supply chain routes back online. 
So I'm just on my way back from my uh, friend's house going to my place. It's the night before a fucking welly. And uh, we're all just like, well, I'm helping my husband Lee learn how to budget on fucking welfare because I'm on disability and now he's on welfare. So it gets way less than I do, but not that that's either of them are enough to live on. Hey, babe. So we kind of have a need to have a budgeting conversation just because, like, um, I didn't really think certain things through. If that's okay. Okay. I'm hoping we can finish our monthly game too. But I kind of need to know what you're planning on buying for the month because, like, if I'm just buying whatever and I'm sharing it all, then like all my money. I'm with you. I thought we were shopping together. So we're hitting the dollar stores first, but like we need kind of like a baseline plan for like the month. My really staples I usually look for would be cheese, Mr. Noodle, Kraft Dinner. So you still need to eat a lot of Mr. Noodles and Kraft Dinner then? <coughs> yeah, because I like okay. it. Oh, what about ground beef? Oh, ground beef, so I can do uh, stuff like shepherd's pie or something. Yeah. Ooh, frozen spinach will be on sale at oh. Safeway. And my um my ground veggie stuff, I would like to mix it with like the ground beef if that's okay. I can get the non-flavored stuff, but I need the extra nutrients from it with the meat. And they're gonna be four ninety nine until December first, which is sick. What you doing? I don't know how to get more food. <laughs> wow, junkie much? Um. Oh, really? Can you look at the flyers, please? This is stuff we need to know. Oh, hey. What? Can you pull up that BC housing thing for me to review? There isn't much on it. <clears throat> All it says is... Where are you staying? And that you need housing. Yeah, but it also said, like, because you get to choose what houses you want to go to, like... I never asked that. Oh, it didn't ask that, but it, did you check off supportive housing? Yes. I still want to see it, though, if that's okay. Thanks, Bella. As I listen back to Rainbow's tape, one thing becomes clear. Rainbow has skills. She knows how to stretch a welfare check as far as it can possibly go. She knows how to describe her challenges with mental health and drug use in ways that professionals can understand. And she knows how to get cover letters together, how to fill out a BC housing form, and how to get signed up for disability assistance. Like you seem to have to have turned yourself into this like expert at navigating complicated systems. Thanks. And it shouldn't have to be <laughs> like that, right? Like it, you just shouldn't have to spend your whole life basically creating a career and, and having a full-time job of running this maze. Um, it's just the way it fucking is. Um, the world is broken. And uh, the thing is, like, the only reason I'm like that is because I had to be my own psychologist. I had to be my own therapist. I had to be my own psychiatrist. I had to be my own thing. It was life or death. Like, it was literally life or death the entire fucking time. One day, Rainbow meets with our producers at McDonald's. And while she's there, she gets an unexpected text. 
It's from Lee, and he's saying that he just checked himself into detox. Rainbow is torn. She wants this to happen, but Lee gave no advanced warning, and Rainbow knows if Lee gets into rehab, she might not hear from him for months. Standing outside of McDonald's, smoking a cigarette, Rainbow starts to spiral. She thinks, how do I even know if he's actually at detox? What if he's drunk and doesn't know where he is? What if he's been kidnapped or something? Rainbow tries to text Lee, but he doesn't respond. I'm really nervous and worried. It's been really fucking hard. I might not be able to see him for like three months. Yeah, I'm fucking, this is gonna be one of the hardest things we've ever done. Like, I'm glad he's going. Cause it's the only way he's gonna get the help that he needs. But it's fucking scary. Like, three whole months. Sorry, I'm just really freaking out. Yeah, the cops are here or something. Yeah, totally. Yeah, well, it seems like he's gonna be okay now. Sorry for waking you. Hey, I love you. Okay, get some nappies. and stress piling up, Rainbow needs more Dexedrin to keep everything in perspective and to just keep going. But Rainbow's appointment with her doctor is still weeks away and so she won't get the dose raised anytime soon. B 
BC politicians sometimes refer to the risk mitigation program as a kind of safe supply. But if this was genuine safe supply, then Rainbow would have access to the dose she needs exactly in this kind of moment, when things feel the most desperate. But that's not how it works. I gotta get through this somehow. I gotta be able to fight for myself and for Lee. If I can't do that on my own, then I fucking gotta use it. Without my man being at the right fucking nose, man. Doctors being fucking useless, like, I don't have energy for that. Fucking sinking, and Lee's fucking gone. I don't, fuck. I hope he's safe. I don't fucking know. No fucking idea. It's hard to figure out how much to fucking smoke without killing myself by accident. Takes to live to the fucking next day. He's such a character. Like his face. He looks like a cartoon. I wonder how big the team is that takes care of his hair. I said I wonder how many people he has on the team that takes care of his hair. Lee's back home now. He didn't make it all the way through the detox program. But he still wants to go to rehab whenever a place will take him. And he's still waiting to see if he can get a room in Rainbow's building. In the meantime, Rainbow's just happy to have him back home. We are in a climate crisis and we need to act urgently. This climate crisis also I like this thing, dude, but he's done some backward shit. They all do backward shit. You gotta admit, though, his beard's awesome. He's a really pretty dude. So at the end of Rainbow's 40 days of recording, here's where things stand. In some ways, Rainbow's less optimistic than she was at the start. She's still waiting to find out if Lee can move into her building, and she's still waiting to see if he'll get into rehab. Overall, Rainbow's tired of waiting, 
But in other ways, things look hopeful. Rainbow tells us her psychiatrist agreed to raise her dose of prescription dexedrine, and she hopes this higher dose will be strong enough that she can avoid potentially lethal street drugs. Rainbow says things are also going well with Lee. They're finding new ways to communicate and have fun in spite of all the chaos. And, Rainbow tells us, none of this would be possible without the supportive housing place she lives in. At the end of our work together, Rainbow asked us if she could keep the tape recorder because she thinks she'd like to keep working in radio. And I, for one, think that's a great idea. You know, when I was, um, when I was 26, if I was to try and think um, what would my life be like in 20 years forward, I would just be pretty certain I wouldn't be there. I would, I would assume that I would be dead. Not that I would kill myself in a dramatic way or something, just I just had no concept of a future. I didn't see a future for myself. And so I'm going to ask you the question that that's, that would have been my answer, which is, which is bleak, or I would have told the person asking to fuck off, which feel free. But yeah. like, what, what do you think things, what do you want things to be like for you when you're the age I am? I didn't think I would live to the age of 15. And then I didn't think I would live to the age of 18. And then I decided to live somewhere along the line and didn't think I would make it to 30. And I still might not for a lot of reasons, but, but it's not for lack of trying. So I don't know what the future holds and I don't know where I'll get, but I know that I will do everything in my power to try and make my life a little better. I did whatever it took to get this far. Well, Um, fucking A. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Crackdown is produced on Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh territories. If you like what we do, please consider donating at patreon.com slash crackdownpod. Special thanks to Lee and Wraith Charlesworth. Our editorial board is Simona Marsh, Shelda Castor, Greg Ferez, Jeff Loudon, Dean Wilson, Laura Shaver, Raya Jean, and rest in peace, Dave Murray and Sharisky Watton. This episode was conceptualized, written, and produced by Rainbow, Sam Fenn, Alexander Kim, Alex DeBoer, Danya Fast, Ryan McNeil, Lisa Hale, and me, Garth Mullins. Sound design by Alexander Kim. Original score was written and performed by James Ash, Sam Fenn, and myself. We produced this episode with funds from Frame and from the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada. Stay safe and keep six. Mm-hmm.